Evangelicals are also tending to lean toward modernists in mainline ideas, mainline denominations that are akin to popularity. Such popular associations and organizations are the Billy Graham Crusade, Trans World International, Youth for Christ International, Wheaton College, and Gordon College. Even the EPC, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, founded with a flexibility around issues for women's ordination in both elder and deacon offices, and flexibility around doctrinal matters such as baptism in the Spirit and spiritual gifts. Not to mention that the EPC gutted the Westminster Confession of Faith and reinstated a watered-down version of Christian fundamentals. The evangelical sector is made up of pastors, theologians, and teachers who are best described as, quote, theologically flexible. This is a compliment for many of them. This ecumenical and theological flexibility is a key factor and a problem among contemporary evangelicals. They are often non-compulsory and convicting in their preaching, and a desire to keep the peace is mainstream in their biblical preaching. The problem that is faced is their flagrant inability to draw solid, non-negotiable doctrinal lines in the sand. They propagate primarily a cooperative spirit with everyone, which is not necessarily a bad thing, except what it has as a focus, ecumenicalism. Many pastors pride themselves in being ecumenical or evangelical in this way. They see evangelicalism as a good thing. It is obvious they are unaware of its history and its popularity. Maybe they are being ignorantly overly optimistic. Maybe their alliances are hoping to make a greater change across the world in their attempts to be more biblically evangelical. But as far as labels go, that designation is about as ambiguous as an ethereal label can be, no matter how long someone takes to define it. The longer it takes to define, the vaguer it actually becomes. In today's modern evangelicalism, countless people have succumbed to the deceptive antics of ecumenicity of the sinner's prayer. The sinner's prayer, for example, is a demonstration of how a fallen man may recognize the need he has of Christ. The sinner's prayer is a term that describes the words spoken by a person when he or she has recognized their sin and their need for a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Though this idea in general is a complete overthrow of the doctrine of man's depravity, the sinner's prayer in evangelical circles goes something like this. Father, I know that I have broken your laws and my sins have separated me from you. I am truly sorry, and I want to turn away from my past sinful life toward you. Please forgive me and help me avoid sinning again. I believe that your Son, Jesus Christ, died for my sins, was resurrected from the dead, is alive, and hears my prayer. I invite Jesus to become the Lord of my life, to rule and reign in my heart from this day forward. Please send your Holy Spirit to help me obey you and to do your will for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. At that time a card is given to them, they sign it, and they are told that they are now part of the kingdom, and that no one can tell them differently. However, such a prayer remains biblically inconsistent. Christ never sat down with a man and told him to, quote, repeat after me. Rather, Christ and his disciples told men to repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jonathan Edwards has been heralded by most of Christendom to be the greatest preacher that America ever produced. If Edwards is such a great preacher and evangelical, certainly we should find the sinner's prayer or something like it in his writings if evangelicalism today is correct. Dr. John Gerstner, in reading all of Edwards' works and sermons, even those that are unpublished, compiled what Edwards would consider not a sinner's prayer, but a seeker's prayer. And it goes something like this. 
Dear God, whom I hate with all my being, precisely because you hate and threaten me with hell, I hate this punishment perhaps even more than I hate you. Or maybe I should say that I love my comfort even more than I hate you. For that reason I am asking a favor of you. I want you to make me love you, whom I hate, even when I ask this, and even more because I have to ask this. I am being frank with you because I know it is no use to be otherwise. You know, better than I, how much I hate you, and that I love only myself. It is no use for me to pretend to be sincere. I most certainly do not love you and do not want to love you. I hate the thought of loving you, but that is what I am asking because I love myself. If you can answer this prayer, I guess the gift of gratitude will come with it, and then I will be able to do what I would not think of doing now. Thank you for making me love you, whom I hate. Amen. As you will notice, this prayer would be considered as anti-evangelistic in contemporary circles. The modern evangelical church today repudiates such thoughts and would be abhorred to see it in print in any form, even in a podcast. They would never counsel someone to pray a prayer as this. But in light of the historical teaching of the church, of reform preaching through the centuries up and through Jonathan Edwards, this is surely what the church did believe, did counsel, and did preach from their pulpits. The doctrine of seeking is essentially gone from 21st century Christendom, but it needs to be revived. Where are you on the evangelistic theological scale? After hearing this prayer, ask yourself, does this shock you? If it does, then certainly you have been infected by the virus of contemporary evangelicalism. If not, then you are a spirit of a different sort, one that is biblically consistent, but one that would better be termed an evangelical in another generation, as it once was in the time of the Reformation. This is Dr. Matthew McMahon, signing off. Good night, then, until this same time next week. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T-6-L-3-T-5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. 
For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle is adopted by the papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.